Thank you for listening to Southside Baptist Church's sermon podcast. We trust that this podcast is an encouragement to you. If there's any way that we can pray for you, or if you have any questions about Jesus and why we serve him, please email us at info at southsidesbc.org. Again, that's info at southsidesbc.org. Thanks for listening. We're talking uh, this morning, we're in our series, Prepare Him Room. And this morning, I want to talk about preparing our hearts. How many of you, um, I, I know you do, how many of you remember the actor Sean Connery? Anybody remember Sean Connery? Yes. Right? Uh, I, I never saw any of these, but Bond, James Bond, right? That was what he was famously known for, being, uh, a, being one of the actors that played James Bond. While Sean Connery had many memorable roles uh, throughout the years, such as playing James Bond, he also rejected more than his fair share of iconic parts. In other words, he was asked to play parts that he simply, for whatever reason, decided not to play, and they ended up being great roles. One of which, believe it or not, um, I don't know how many of you know this, Sean Connery turned down the offer to be Gandalf in The Lord of the Rings. I know. Who could, who could, who could think of Sean Connery as Gandalf? Um, believe it or not, he was actually the director's first choice to play the role. The producers of the film were so desperate, they thought Connery was their guy, uh, and they were so desperate to get him on board that they offered him $30 million. I don't know if that was for one or all three of them. Plus, here was what they put on top, plus 15% of the, of the receipts. Would have been an extra almost $500 million if he would have accepted the role. Yet, James, uh, Sean Connery, excuse me, uh, did not budge. He did not accept the role, and uh, if you remember, Ian McKellen went on to famously play and become Gandalf. Several years later after that, Sean Connery was being interviewed, and he was asked about this, why he uh, turned down the role of Gandalf. He revealed that the reason he turned it down was that he simply didn't understand the movie. He didn't understand the script. He didn't understand the series. And therefore, and I know maybe some of you are that. Man, I've seen all three of them. I still don't understand. Uh, Hopefully you get a little bit of it. But anyway, um, therefore, because he didn't understand it, he didn't believe it was going to be a success. Here's what he said. He said, I read the book. I read the script. He said, I've now seen the movies. I still don't understand it. <laughs> Sean Connery had trouble believing that the Lord of the Rings would be a success simply because he did not understand it. I believe, friends, in a very similar way, many people have trouble believing in Christ because they simply do not understand either him or some basic biblical principles about God that are kind of uh, foundational truths and foundational beliefs and foundational principles upon which our belief in Christ is based. If you remember last week, we talked about a guy by the name of what? Oh, come on. Who did we talk about last week? Started with a Z, Zacharias. Listen, you've you got two choices, Zacharias or Zacchaeus, okay? <laughs> <laughs> What? We weren't climbing a tree last week, okay? We were talking about Zacharias and his wife, Elizabeth. 
And so last week we saw that Zacharias, a priest, um, had difficulty believing something, right? Uh, an angel, the angel Gabriel appeared to him with a message that he and his wife Elizabeth were going to have a baby. But guess what? Eh, show me some proof. He didn't believe it. Now, granted, he had some reasons, right? They were older. doesn't tell us how old they were, but it says they were getting up in years. And so uh, he had trouble believing that they were going to have a child, especially that their child would be the forerunner to the Messiah. Now, I don't believe, I don't think that it was that he didn't want to believe. I believe those obstacles probably were mentally uh, difficult for him to come. Yet, if you remember, because he didn't believe, what happened to him? It was made mute, right? Which is a nice way to say that God shut him up for nine months, okay? Now, interestingly enough, um, the term that's used for mute, the, the, the word that's used for mute there is also used sometimes of those who are deaf. So you'll see a little bit in our text today that um, some believe that not only was he made mute, but he was also made deaf for that time as well. Nevertheless, grab your Bibles, look at Luke chapter 1, and let's pick up where the story left off uh, kind of last week, and let's pick up in verse 57 of Luke chapter 1. So, what's been happening? Can I put it to you in real terms? The cake's been in the oven and it, the, the bell has rung. Amen? Okay? It's time for the cake to come out. And that's what happens. Verse 57. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. Yay! Elizabeth's having a baby, right? She, I, listen, they knew she'd wanted a baby. She tried to have a baby, wasn't able to have a baby. And finally, Elizabeth was having a baby, and they all celebrated with her. Verse 59, so it was. On the eighth day they, that they came to circumcise the child. The normal day, the normal time was, was just that. The eighth day was when Jewish uh, baby boys were circumcised, and so they brought him to be circumcised. It says, and they would... They would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. Now, I don't know, biblical, in biblical times, names meant a lot more than they do today, right? You know, today it's like, you know, what name do you think sounds nice? What name do you think sounds nice? And that's kind of a lot of times how we do it. Um, in biblical times, that was not the case. Especially in Old Testament times, a name really meant something. Seems to be in these times, it was more maybe a family thing for them. But it said, uh, they would have called him by the name Zacharias, but, look at verse 60, his mother answered and said, no, he shall be called John. But you remember last week we talked about it means the Lord is gracious, or God is gracious uh, to, 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 to us or to them. Friends, here Elizabeth shows great belief, I believe, in what the angel had said to Zacharias. If you remember, listen, God hadn't even spoken to her. She had gotten this, the message of, that she was going to be pregnant and that she was going to have a baby that was going to be the forerunner to the Messiah from her mute husband. Wouldn't you like to have been a fly on the wall when he was trying to, when he got home, right? Can you imagine having good news to share but not being able to tell it? <laughs> Biggest game of charades, right? And so she got the picture. Of course, we know he wrote down some things as well, and I'm sure he wrote and explained to her that way. 
And because of that, friends, Elizabeth, even without hearing directly from the angel, took Zechariah's word for it, that the angel Gabriel had come to him and what he had shared with Zacharias, that their baby was going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. You know, there was something else that happened uh, that probably also helped her to believe. We read, uh, Miriam uh, and Abigail read this morning that at about the sixth month when she, Elizabeth was pregnant, she had a visitor, right? Who was that visitor? That visitor was Mary, the mother of Jesus. Um, it says she was a relative, probably a cousin, maybe a niece. We don't really know exactly how they were related, but Mary showed up at Elizabeth's house at six months saying, Mary, listen, I got some, got some more good news to share with you. And she shares that the same angel that visited Zacharias also visited her, and, and, and that was just great news. And so she had some confirmation, but can you imagine um, Elizabeth processing all of this? That Zacharias said, hey, we're going to have a child, and he's going to be the forerunner. And then Mary comes, and I'm going to have a baby, and he's going to be the Messiah. And Elizabeth's saying, whoa, my head's spinning. It's a lot of information, but guess what? She believed. Unbelievably, with great faith, here is her proclamation of belief, is that his name is to be, he shall be called John. Verse 61, but they said to her, but, 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 but listen, there's no one among your relatives who is called by this name. There's, there's nobody, you know, uh, your husband's name, Zacharias, his, his dad, Zacharias or whatever, I don't know, something else. And there's no one by that name. So, and, and maybe they thought she was overstepping her bounds, not sure. So they made signs to his father, to Zacharias, what he would have him call. Verse 63 says, And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, what? His name is John. Not shall be John, it is John. Listen, you're not going to call him anything else. Listen, uh, Zacharias had made that mistake once, right? (laughs) He wasn't going to make it again. His name is John. Now, what happened? As soon as he did that, says uh, they all marveled, but immediately, as soon as uh, the words came out of his pen, instead of his mouth, says immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. I want you to think about this for just a minute. If you or I had been made mute and couldn't talk for nine months, the moment that our mouth was opened. <laughs> what would we have said? Uh, here's what I could imagine. You know, if it had been you or I, we'd have probably, the moment our mouth had been opened, we'd say, can you believe what that angel did to me? <laughs> can you believe that God may, made me mute this whole time? I can't believe it. I just expressed a little bit of doubt and all of a sudden. But that wasn't what Zacharias did. Look at what he said. And, and, and I'll tell you why I believe. It says, he immediately, his mouth was open and his tongue loosed. And what happened? And he spoke. But what did he speak? It says, praising God. Friends, his reply shows that he now fully believes in what Gabriel had, had, had delivered, the message Gabriel had delivered to him. His writing of, of, of the name, that his name is John, was an indicator of his faith. It was a sign of his faith. And boom, he got his voice back. And immediately he began praising God. Look at what else happens there in verse 65. It says, then fear came on all who dwelt around them. Can you imagine this? Oh, he'd been mute. Maybe they 
passed it off in that time. You know what? Uh, I don't know. Maybe it was a, uh, some, some kind of physical thing that happened, what have you. But now he was able to speak again, and everybody was like, whoa, this is, this is crazy. And all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea, and all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. During that time, friends, during that time, that nine months, Zacharias had time to think, didn't he? Um, you know when we often learn the most is when there are consequences for our sin. Um, I, I would like to say that we could just change our minds and change our hearts. Do you know the heart is wicked and, de- and deceitful? And it will even fool our, we can even fool ourselves. And so I believe it was during that time that God began to work on Zechariah's heart. I, I believe he began to work on Zechariah's heart and, 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 and began to probably confirm and solidify some beliefs that, that Zacharias already had. What we have in this next section that we're going to really dive into today is what is known as the Benedictus. It's taken from the first word, first phrase there, uh, blessed is the Lord God of Israel that he proclaims. But Zacharias, when his mouth is open, he goes on. There's no indication here whether he, it's become a song since then, but there's no indication whether he actually sings this or whether he he proclaims it or what. Um, But he goes on in whatever form or fashion he does to proclaim uh, these, some, some very important truths that I believe he had been meditating on in a sudden outburst of praise. The scripture says that the Holy Spirit, verse 67, says that Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And so here he, he proclaims forth some, some vital foundational beliefs that I believe are foundational to preparing our heart to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. Friends, I want to share with these things with you, the four things that I believe Zacharias proclaims, four things, four truths that I believe will prepare our hearts for faith, for trusting in Christ, for preparing more room in our lives for him. Look at number one. Number one is this. Number one is, friends, simply a belief in God's redemption and salvation. A belief in God's redemption and salvation. Before we can truly get saved, before, now a lot of people say that they have received Christ. A lot of people say that they follow, they're following Jesus. But there's a lot of folks out there that have never been regenerated by the Spirit of God. That claim the name of Jesus but have never been regenerated. A uh, couple of things that we need to understand before that is we need to understand what redemption is and we need to understand salvation. We need to understand our need for that. I want you to look at verse 68 as we look at what Zacharias says here. Verse 67 says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. So, Zacharias here, you're thinking his son has just been born, right? John, who's going to be the forerunner um, to the Messiah. And so you would think that he would just talk about his son. But Zacharias is not talking about his son, John, here. He's talking about the one John would be pointing to, right? He's talking about Jesus, the Messiah. 
I want you to notice here that Zacharias uses three very important terms in here in the beginning of this song of praise. Uses the word visited, uses the word redeemed, and he uses the word salvation. Visited. What a great word to describe God coming to earth and what Jesus did. Amen? He, he became a man. He became one of us, but he was still God. He visited us. What a great word. For approximately 33 years, God, the Son, the second person of the Trinity, visited us, humanity, here on earth. The second word is the word redeemed. said he has visited us and redeemed his people. Redemption refers to the way in which God has actually purchased us back from the grip of sin, death, and eternal damnation. God has actually redeemed us or bought us back from hell and from Satan's grasp. Because we are sinners, which we'll talk about here more in just a, in just a minute, the moment we sin, we are separated from God, and we are um, destined, we deserve death, hell, and punishment. In other words, we, because of our sin nature and because of our choice of sin, uh, the Bible says that our father in our sin nature is that God is not our father, but the devil is our father. That we are children of the devil because we are sinners. Now, the good news is that God redeems us back to himself. He pays the penalty for sin. So the claim that Satan has on us because we're sinners, God takes care of that on the cross. That is redemption. Amen? The third word that he uses here is the word salvation. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. The, the term horn of is an Old Testament phrase speaking of the strength. Uh, if you can think kind of the, the, the picture here is that, um, I don't know, I kind of think of a rhino, you know. You think of strength, you think of a rhino going, right? There's nobody that can stop the Lord. He is the strength of salvation, if you will. But salvation has to do with being delivered from some sure and terrible end. And friends, we need to understand the sure and terrible end that we are going to, where we're going to end up if we don't trust Christ as our Savior. Um, before we can believe in Jesus as our Savior, before we can trust uh, that God has done these things for us and Jesus is the one who's visited us, he's redeemed us and saved us, we must believe that Redemption and salvation are necessary. We must believe that we need to be redeemed. We must believe that we need to be saved. I don't know if you've ever witnessed to somebody or tried to witness to somebody and you've talked to them and they think they're okay. Oh, I'm a good person. And they don't understand that they're in a predicament. That before we can share with them good news, there is bad news. That because of our sin, we all deserve death, hell, and punishment. Friends, the reality is that before we can understand and trust Christ as our Savior, we must first understand our need to trust Him as our Savior. We must understand and believe that we are in a hole that we can't get out of on our own. And God is the only one who can reach down and pull us out. 
It amazes me how many people think they've done nothing wrong, who think they're fine, or, or that what they've done is not that bad. And I'm not talking about those who don't believe in God at all, but there are many people who say, you know what, I'm, I'm good with God. I, 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 I'm, I'm a good person. I, I, I try to do good things for good people. Listen, God's standard is not being a good person. God's standard is perfection. I want you to look at a, a, a verse here in James chapter 2, verse 10, I believe it is. James chapter 2, verse 10 says this, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. So friends, how many sins do we have to commit to be a sinner? One. How many lies do you have to commit to be a liar? How many murders does a murderer have to commit before they're a murderer? Oh, I'm not a murderer. I've just murdered one guy. The reality is that many times we think we're not that bad. But if you've ever taken the Lord's name in vain, talked about this at men's breakfast yesterday. Um, if you've ever used that phrase, OMG, and I'm not going to say it, yes. And there are lots of other ways you can take the Lord's name. If you've ever told a lie, if you've ever hated someone, or if you've ever lusted after someone, if you've ever blessed somebody out going down the road, if you've blessed somebody out on Facebook, then you have sinned before a holy God. And friends, you need help. And I'm not talking about counseling help. <laughs> okay? The, the help we need is Christ, but we need to understand that our sin has separated us from God. I want to share with you three, three simple scriptures here. First, look at Isaiah 59, verse 1. Isaiah 59, verse 1 says this. says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. <laughs> He's saying, listen, this is not a problem with God problem with us he says but your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear now Isaiah here is talking to the Israelites about their sin but this applies to us and our sin as well friends listen our sin separates us from our holy God you know Romans three twenty three, for all have sinned and what fall short of the glory of God God is perfect. God is sinless, friends, and he cannot allow sin into his presence. And we, because we have disobeyed him in so many ways that if we really want to be honest, we can't even name them all. But we, because of that, fall short of his glory and fall short of that perfection and are not worthy to stand with him in heaven. Galatians chapter 3, verse 22 says this. It says, but the scripture has confined all under sin. In other words, we all are under the curse. We all are under the, the, the consequences of our sin. Friends, we all need, are in need of redemption. We all are in need of salvation. We are all in a hole that we cannot climb out of on our own. And unless we believe in the, that we need redemption, unless we believe that we need salvation, we will never believe truly in Jesus as our Savior. I believe we see here Zacharias proclaiming that need for redemption and salvation. In fact, here's what I want you to notice here. I want you to notice before we go on to the next point that Zacharias, even though redemption 
And salvation has not actually been completed yet, right? When was that completed? It was completed when Jesus died on the cross. Zechariah speaks of it here as if it already had. Why? Because he knew it was a sure thing. Even the Old Testament folks, looking forward to God's redemption, knew that when God promised it, they could trust him. Amen? That leads us right into number two. What a great segue and transition. Number two, the second truth that we need to believe that Zacharias proclaimed in order to prepare our hearts for salvation is a belief in God's faithfulness to fulfill his promises. Is a belief in God's faithfulness to fulfill his promises. Let's pick up in verse 69 again. Verse 69, uh, Zacharias has prophesied that God has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, which is who? Jesus Christ. Verse 70 says, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers. Um, so here's the deal. Here's what Zechariah is saying here. He simply said, listen, what, we are, what he's about to see here, what has begun to happen with John, the pronouncement of John's uh, uh, birth, with, with the angel coming to him and Mary being pregnant, it all sets into motion the fulfillment of everything that God had promised as a result of the fall. All the way back, he says, listen, uh, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, verse 70, who have been since the world began. Since God began proclaiming the truths of, uh, of, of that he was going to send a redeemer, that he was going to rescind a Messiah. This is the fulfillment of all those things. That, that he has raised up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David. Look, at, uh, look here at Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5. Jeremiah prophesies about this some 600 years before the birth of John or Jesus. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. Here, back in Jeremiah 23, uh, he continues a prophecy that the Messiah will come through the line of David. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. Some 600 years before Jesus ever was born, Jeremiah prophesied that he would come, and he would come through the line of David. Look down at verse 72 again. He says, he will remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. You remember when God called Abraham out of Ur in Genesis chapter 12? And he said, get out of your country to a land that I will show you, and that I will make a great nation of you, and I will multiply your descendants he says, and in you, he ends up that, finishes that prophecy, says, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's that prophecy that, that the Messiah, the Savior, that God will redeem all of mankind through his lineage. God not only promises all of this, but Zacharias is saying, here we are seeing the fulfillment, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Friends, very simply, what Jeremiah, or excuse me, what Zacharias is doing here through the Holy Spirit of God is reminding everyone that his son's birth, that John's birth, and the Messiah's birth as well, shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. That God has promised these things long in advance. 
All, since the foundation of the world, since the world began, he says. And now God is simply being faithful to his word. He's being faithful to what he has promised in his word. See, the reality is, friends, that believing in Jesus, and sometimes we forget this, as, as most of us probably are. Maybe some of you have some Jewish heritage in you, but most of us are probably pretty Gentile, non-Jew. And so us Gentiles tend to think that it is not a belief in the Messiah necessarily in the way that, that, that Jews do. Because they had the scriptures given to them and they're, they're looking forward to that and so forth. But friends, even for us, Jesus' birth, his crucifixion on the cross, and everything is a fulfillment of the promises that God gave to not just the Israelites but to mankind all throughout the Old Testament. The question is this, friends, what do you believe about God's promises? What do you believe about God's faithfulness? Do you believe God is faithful to do what he says? Do you believe that God is trustworthy? Friends, that belief, that belief that God is trustworthy, that God is faithful to fulfill his promises, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the, those promises in the Old Testament, that he would send a Messiah, that he would send a Redeemer. Friends, that is foundational to preparing our heart to believe in Jesus as Savior. You know, it's one thing to say amen. Sorry, honey, this is not intended to use. <laughs> but it's one thing to say amen to the preacher, amen? It's another to live our life based on those truths which I know she does. That's where we put our money where our mouth is. Amen. And we let Jesus be the Lord of our life. We didn't, we didn't rehearse that, did we? No, we didn't. Okay. I don't think he could. Number three. Friends, not only does Zacharias proclaim um, his belief in redemption, God's redemption and salvation. Not only does he proclaim his belief in God's faithfulness to fulfill his promises, but the third truth and belief I believe we see here in Zacharias' outburst of praise, friends, is a belief that God can use ordinary people like John. It's a belief that you say, how is this foundational? Well, hang with me for a minute and I'll explain. But I want you to look first of all at verse 76. John, uh, excuse me, Zacharias wants to make sure that his proclamation is in praise to God the Father, is in praise for his salvation, for what even John's birth means. It means the coming of the Messiah. And so Zacharias realizes that his son is not the main event. Jesus is the main event. But God was going to use his son in a very unique and powerful way. Verse 76, he says this, And you, child, really speaking probably directly to his son there as a baby, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, or the prophet of the Highest. Here, Zacharias, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, prophesies about his own son. What the angel had told him, what Gabriel had told him, he now believes fully that he's going he's gonna to let it burst out in praise, calling him his baby boy, okay? Listen, he doesn't have the 
the privilege and the blessing and the knowledge that we have of what John the Baptist went on to do. He doesn't have that, that, that knowledge. Yet by faith, he believes and, and calls, you child will be called the prophet of the highest. Zacharias recognizes John as a prophet, but, but here's the thing. He doesn't overstate it. He realizes that his son is just an ordinary boy. He's just a human. He's just a human, but he's been called by God to a specific, wonderful purpose. Look at the rest of verse 76. He says, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Did John do that? Absolutely he did. He said to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Did John prepare the way for Christ? Did he begin to preach repentance? He called people to repentance? Absolutely he did. Did he point people to Jesus? Yes. We talked about that a few weeks ago. That, that in, in John chapter 1 and 2, I believe it is. That he very specifically says, I am not the one, but there is one that comes after me who is preferred before me. And so uh, Zacharias recognizes John, who John is, who he isn't, and who he is, and his role. John was a prophet of the Lord. He was called to be the forerunner of the Messiah. He was tasked with calling people to repentance, and he was used greatly by God. But he was simply a man. Um, you know, I believe we, um, as human beings, have a bad habit of going to one extreme or another when it comes to recognizing um, other human beings' achievements. I want you to think about this for just a minute. Um, you know, some people want to venerate or deify people who, uh, who have done something great or who have important roles. Right? Just because somebody's thrown so many touchdowns or won so many Super Bowls, we're going to make them the best of all time. They're the GOAT. Really? We know who the GOAT is. Um, just because somebody has invented something, we're, you know, uh, or, or just because somebody's been a, a significant historical figure, we're going to put a statue of them. We have a bad tendency uh, as human beings to want to, to, to de almost, almost deify. I know we wouldn't say that, but, but really lift up and idolize other people. Even to the point that we've done that, some have done that, with individuals in Scripture. Um, some have, have trouble believing that Mary was just a girl. She was just a lady. Surely if she birthed Jesus, she must have been something more. Um, so we go to one extreme and we lift him up. But you know what? Sometimes people go to the other extreme. Sometimes people go to the other extreme and just want to pass people off as, as frauds. Well, you know, okay, I know a lot of people believe that, 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 that they are something. They did this and they did that. But you know what? I don't believe any of it. So we, sometimes we want to pass people off that they're, not, they're nothing special because they're just human. Anybody could have done that. Why can't we just see people for who they really are? Ordinary people who sometimes do extraordinary things, not because they're super, superhuman, but because maybe God has gifted them in a certain special way or because God has called them to something special. 
and they were willing to be used by him or they were willing to do whatever. You know what, what a major stumbling block is for many people? One of the major stumbling blocks for many people to faith is the fact that this book that we call the Bible, this book that we call our holy scriptures, was written by men. I can't tell you how many times. Well, that's just a book written by a bunch of men. It's nothing special. Yeah, it was written by a bunch of men. But you know what this book claims? This book claims not not just that it was written by 40-some-odd men, but that those men were inspired by the very Spirit of God as they wrote. Why do we have trouble believing that they were just ordinary men that God used in an extraordinary way? Why do we have to make something, you know, uh, uh, deify them? Some people, you know, sometimes I believe the reason we don't have, like, let me give you, for example, the very original text of the Scriptures is because what would we do with them? We'd idolize them. We'd idolize them. Why does God tell us not to make an image of him? Because we would idolize the image instead of worship him. Um, for some, for some, the stumbling block is that God used a young girl to be the channel through which his son, the second person of the Trinity, was born. And so because that, that, that Mary was just a human being, that, that, because that's a stumbling block, many people want to make something more of her. For some, the stumbling block is that Jesus just used some ordinary fishermen and a tax collector and a few others to, 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 to get the message out. And they want to make something more of them. They want to turn them into saints. Listen, we're all saints. Simply means holy ones or ones set apart unto God. Doesn't mean we have a special status in heaven or something like that. What it simply means, friends, is that God has chosen throughout the history to use certain people, ordinary people, in an extraordinary way. And if we are going to believe that Jesus is the Savior, then here's what we've got to number one believe what that this book. Because we, this is how we know what Christ has done for us. And if we're going to believe this book, then we have to believe that God used ordinary men to convey his truth to us some 2,000 years later. And it is that belief that is a foundational belief for our belief in him as our Lord and Savior. And if we're going to prepare room for him in our lives, we've got to first prepare room for his word. Amen? We've got to first prepare room of what God has done. Friends, Zacharias proclaimed his belief in a redemption, in his need for redemption and salvation. He proclaimed God's faithfulness to fulfill his promises. Third, he proclaimed a belief that God can use ordinary people like John, like you, like me, and like all of us. Fourth, he proclaimed a belief that God can give light and peace. Friends, in other words, that God can bring light and peace into any situation. I want you to look at how he closes out his, his outburst of praise, his song here. We're going to pick back, we're going to kind of pick back up in 76 and 77 and continue on. 76, he said, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. 
For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, excuse me, by the redemption of their sins, excuse me, by the remission of their sins. Verse 78, through the tender mercy of our God. So how is John going to be able to do that? It is through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us. How is he able to proclaim knowledge of salvation? How is he able to proclaim that our sins can be forgiven, friends? It is through God's mercy which he has poured out in coming and visiting us as Jesus Christ. Amen? In verse 78 here, the phrase, day spring from on high. How many of you remember the old song? Day spring shine down on us. No? Okay, it's an old gospel song. Uh, okay, nobody knew that, right? Maybe it was my singing that kind of um, that messed that up. I don't know. Nevertheless, I used to hear that word all the time, and before studying this, I thought, what in the world does that mean? What is the day spring? You know what the word literally means? It means rising. Rising, or here, won't you? It's really talking about sunrise. It's actually talking about the moment that of the first, it refers to the first light of dawn. So, if you ever been out real early in the morning, some of you hunters I know have, right? And the, the sun, you know, it's almost, it's almost uh, uh, time for sunrise, and the sun just, just peaks all of a sudden over the horizon, and the first light of dawn shines into the darkness. Friends, that is the visual here that Zacharias is giving us. When it says the day spring from on high, on high is a, is a reference referring symbolically to heaven. So Zacharias is depicting the Messiah coming as a great light shining from heaven who will, look at verse 79, Give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. In other words, he shines light into the darkness of our lives. Friends, how many times have you felt in darkness? Maybe it's in your sin. Maybe it's in depression. Maybe it's in discouragement. Maybe it's in in woe is me. Or maybe it's thinking about life and death and those things. Friends, listen. It is the Messiah that shines light into that darkness. Whatever shadow of death situation that you have been in, it is Jesus who gives light and shines salvation, shines light into the darkness. But that's not all. Look at the end of verse 79. It says, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Friends, it is only his, Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross that can reconcile us to God and bring true peace, true peace in our hearts. It is that Dayspring, that sunrise, that rising from on high that has visited us, has come down to us, that can shine light into our darkness, friends, and can give us peace with Almighty God. Isn't that what we're really all after? Is that peace in our lives, friends? It's only when we believe that God can shine light into the, your darkness, when God can bring peace into your life, that we will be prepared to receive him. The only one who can bring those things to true fruition. You know, the world promises lots of temporary light and lots of temporary peace. But only Jesus can give us lasting peace. Amen? Do you believe that God can do this? Do you believe that he can break into any situation you're in? Do you believe that he can give you hope 
in any situation? Do you believe he can give you peace with him? Friends, if so, and you've never received him as your Lord and Savior, you've heard the gospel today. It is that we're sinners and we're in need of redemption and salvation. The proclamation that Zacharias is making here is that God has visited us. Jesus has stepped out of heaven and has come to earth to live a sinless life. To die on the cross, to pay for our sins so that we can be reconciled, be brought back to God. That, that his light will shine forth in our lives and we become a light to others and that we now live in his peace. That no matter what happens in this world, when I know that I'm right with God, I'm all right. Amen? When I know that I'm right here, I know that it doesn't matter what happens here, I'm right. You know what? Some people, I, I'm a very simpleton. I, I believe that I don't like to complicate things. You know, I think people in our world today try to complicate stuff too much. You know, if, you go, if you're talking with somebody and they start using a bunch of big words, you know all they're trying to do is they're just trying to impress you. And the reality is, friends, I believe things are pretty simple. That if we will get right with God... It sure simplifies all the relationships down here. Maybe your belief. Maybe you're saved. Maybe you've trusted Christ as your Savior. But you've forgotten how much you really need Him. Your belief in your need of redemption and salvation needs to be strengthened. Um, maybe, maybe you've your belief in God's faithfulness has diminished. We talked last week about praying and praying and praying for something in your life, but God, God's there for you. He's going to come through. Just continue to trust in Him and believe. Friends, maybe you've, your belief that God can use, you've never thought about it that way, that God can use ordinary people, friends. God wants to use you. Would you allow Him to? Would you allow him to use you? You say, well, God's never going to use me like he used John and like he used Matthew or Luke or, or Paul. Guys, you don't know that. Listen, the next Billy Graham could be sitting here among us. Some of you chuckle at that. We don't know what God's going to do. Um, how God is going to use you. How God will use a person fully, completely, 100% surrendered to him. Maybe today you say, you know what, pastor, I'm just not there. Okay. Then would you, would you ask God to help renew and refresh your belief in him, the beliefs that we've talked about today? Like in Mark chapter nine, there was a man who had an epileptic son and he had an interaction with Jesus. And he said, um, uh, he said to Jesus, I believe, but Lord help my unbelief. Would you be willing to say that to Jesus? Lord, help me to believe in you, in your word, in your truths, in your faithfulness. Lord, strengthen my belief in you. I want to close with this story, a story of a man by the name of, an astronomer by the name of David Block. Um, in a recent, fairly recent issue of Christianity Today, he tells the story of how God prepared his heart for faith. He said, I grew up a Jewish boy in a South African gold mining town known as Krugersdorp. Those South Africans in their town names. He said, I remember sitting in the synagogue 
enthralled as our learned rabbi expounded how God was a personal God. How God would speak to Moses and to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and to many others. He said, growing up, I often pondered how I fit into all of this. He said, by the time I entered the University of Witzwatersrand, Johannesburg, he said, I was deeply concerned that I had no assurance that God was indeed a personal God. He said, I was confident that he was a historical God who had delivered our people from the hands of Pharaoh, but he seemed so far removed from the particulars of my life. Where was the personality, the personalness, and the vibrancy of a God who could truly speak to me? said, I became friends with a professor by the name of Lewis Hurst. He had a great interest in astronomy, and we would discuss the complexities of the cosmos for hours at a time. He said, uh, one time I remember attending a meeting of the Royal Astronomical Society led by none other than Stephen Hawking. He said, the atmosphere there was intellectually stimulating, but inwardly, he says, I could tell that something or someone was missing. To be brutally honest, he said, I did not know at the time that it was God. Back in South Africa, he said, my friendship with Professor Hurst grew, and I started sharing with him my thoughts and feelings about the cosmos. He said, I said, the universe is so beautiful, both visually and mathematically. The idea of the universe being designed by a master artist continued to resonate with me, but I struggled, he said, to find evidence that this artist had any interest in knowing me personally. I shared further doubts. Are we, as Shakespeare said in Macbeth, just a fleeting shadow that appears for a moment and then disappears? What is our reason for living? What is the purpose of life? Is it possible to have a personal encounter with the creator of the universe? Hurst listened intently, and then he said, this professor said to him, he said, there is an answer to all the questions you are asking. He said, I'm well aware that you come from an Orthodox Jewish family. But would you be willing to meet with a dear friend of mine, the Reverend John Spiker? He said, my Jewish parents had taught me to seek answers wherever they might be found, so I consented to meet with this Christian minister. Taking the Bible in his hands, Spiker, Reverend Spiker turned to Romans 9.33, where Paul affirms that Yeshua, Jesus, is a stumbling stone to the Jewish people, but that those who freely choose to believe in him will never be ashamed. He said, by divine grace, suddenly everything became perfectly clear. Yeshua was the stumbling stone, but he was my stumbling stone. Jesus had fulfilled all the messianic prophecies in the Hebrew scriptures, where the Messiah would be born, how he was to die, and so much more. He said, while most Jewish people today are still awaiting the Messiah's coming, I knew I had found him and that all I had to do was respond to his free offer of grace. Immediately, he said, I asked Reverend Spiker to pray with me. And on that day, at the age of 22, I surrendered my heart, my life, even my reason, he said, to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And his spirit came in and spread throughout every cell of my being. He said, reflecting on my early days, I realize now that they had been infused by God's grace. That God had been planting spiritual seeds every time I gazed up into the heavens. That my beliefs in Him were growing and growing and growing until they finally culminated with me placing my faith in Christ. 
friends, David Block opened up his heart to belief. Uh, you've heard the old adage that sometimes it takes, it takes on average seven times somebody to hear the gospel before they receive Jesus as their Savior. Friends, I believe part of that is that we have to begin to open our heart up to what God wants to do in our lives. We have to begin to open our heart up to believing in Him, to trusting in our need for Him, uh, believing in, that we have a need for Him, believe, trusting in His faithfulness, friends, believing that God can use other people and believing that God can shine light into our lives. Friends, when we open our heart up to what God wants to say to us, the gospel will take root. Have you allowed the gospel to take root in your life? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Have you opened your heart as we are talking about? Have you prepared room for Him in your life? You believe that God can give you peace that passes all understanding? Or do you look for peace somewhere else? Do you look for your peace in sports? Do you look for your peace in scrolling Facebook? Do you look for your peace in your family? Or do you look for that peace in the Lord Jesus Christ? Friends, today, would you allow God to, to strengthen those beliefs in you? Would you say, Lord, I don't kind of believe. Lord, I believe. And I trust you unequivocally today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I believe that there is a temptation As we live life in this earth, there's a temptation to, to stop believing in the supernatural. There's a temptation to get busy with our lives and just only believe in what we can see. Lord, would you open our hearts beyond that belief today? Would you open our hearts to the truths of your word? Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts, your truth of our need for you, our need for redemption, of our belief in your faithfulness to fulfill your promises. Lord, would you open our hearts to believe that you can work in our lives, Lord, and that you can shine light and peace into the deepest darknesses of our soul. And Lord, I pray for each one that's here, each one that's watching online, Lord, that they will open their hearts and say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I know I'm a sinner. I need you as my Savior. I trust you as the Messiah, the, the one who has come to redeem me and save me and has visited us and will make me whole and make me right with you. Friend, what step do you need to take today? Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for you. Lord Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to Southside Baptist Church's weekly sermon podcast. If there's any way that we can help you, or if you're looking for your next steps, 
further your journey with Jesus Christ, please contact us at info at southsidesbc.org. Thanks and have a great week.